0: Creativity. Hustlers, fakers, and thieves. Creativity is not the province of just a chosen few. Those who fear they have nothing to say or that it's all been said before can also grab the fire. But our ideas about practice, quality, or failure shape our work. New artists, working artists, strugglers, those who have been at it all their lives, grapple with these same concepts. This is the heart of our endeavor, finding the different and similar ways that artists work to be creative. On Creativity, Hustlers, Fakers, and Thieves. Welcome. Welcome, one and all, to Creativity, Hustlers, Fakers, and Thieves. Ali, how are you? I'm great, sir. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. We are going into round two with... With uh, Alex Ebert, our conversation lasted so long that we were, well, you know, I wanted to keep our episodes a little short, but there was too much to talk about with him. So this second conversation, which occurred at, at the same time, uh, is about limits. This is one one thing that I think people just starting out don't recognize is the the power of limitation, how it frees one up rather than constrains you. Uh, it's difficult for newbies, uh, novitiates to, to understand. If you're working in the sonnet form, you have a lot of possibility. Yes, you are. You have a certain form that you're working in, but things open up. Your thoughts, Ali?
1: I think that limits are really important, especially in the development of any sort of uh, creative thinking individual. Otherwise, you're overwhelmed I think that without limits, then you're bound to impossibility. With limits, you are given a certain criteria and a rubric, so to speak, wherein you can explore and flex muscles. Uh, Let's take any sort of discipline you want to think about, like woodworking, music, whatever. You know, if I was to say, you know, write a song. And you can use any key, any sort of scale, anything you want becomes very difficult. But if I say, you know, write a song, you're going to do it in D flat minor, and you can only use this scale and this and that, and then you have three chords, and you have the four chords, and this, and then you have to do a chord, uh, key change, you know, uh, the B section, blah blah blah. And now I start giving you limits. Now you are able to think in terms that are chord a product, right? and and I think that that's important. And and then those limits are eventually, you know, just things that you can shun. I like having limits, you know, and I think that's one of the great things about working with clients is that they ask you to make a table. You know, you ask me to make a table. Those are very specific limits.
0: There are other forms of limitation, I think, that give us a greater sense of what a limitation offers to a creator, uh, because it opens up uh, possibilities that seem to be closed for some reason. Not sure why, Uh, but as you say, given an infinite number of choices, you can do anything you want, people freeze up, but you say, okay, I need a concerto for violin. All right, that's a limitation that sets boundaries and parameters and and sets people free. Well, let's hear what Alex and I got into in this conversation on, on limits.
2: How do you feel about limitations? Do they free you up or do they limit you? I hate them and love them. I I used to strictly hate them. And now I understand if limitations weren't there, I wouldn't be able to hate them. And so limitations have this incredible purpose. You work with like, okay, I'm going to use tape, a snorkel, an avocado and an ice pick and I'm going to make art. And that's all I'm going to use. And so somehow the sum is going to be greater than the parts. And therein lies the transcendence. And it doesn't matter what the medium is, if it's a slab of wood or a hunk of marble or it's a guitar and a piano, you somehow draw the instruments beyond themselves, beyond the objective limitations into these phenomenological points of excess, which suddenly are like, oh, my God. This thing has transcended itself. This this moment is impossible. Just the feeling of awe, which I think is integral to art. Like when we experience a great piece of art, it's like we're sort of in awe. Like we don't understand how it was made. How is this all coming together? This is too beautiful. And so for that very reason, limits provide the transcendence of the artistic experience not only for the artist, but also for the consumer of art, for the experience of art. And you you present something that, that overwhelms them. And so they go into a state of awe. And that's just the best thing. So limits serve this amazing function uh, that I've come to really, really, really appreciate. It's quite a paradox that newcomers
0: to any field say, no, I I need my freedom and don't understand how Writing in the sonnet form allows you to pull out 126 sonnets like Shakespeare did. But that gets me back to the idea of repetition. You've got this riff or you've got this melody. And, you know, if you're Bach, you're going to do it 56 times or whatever. I don't know. Over and over and another version, another version. I know one artist is a furniture maker too. And he told me once he just minds an idea. Once he gets an idea, he just works it until the vein runs dry.
2: When we repeat something, it's not a sheer repetition, it's also a pure difference, meaning a a purely contextual temporal difference without any other sort of difference added. It's just this temporal contextual difference. There's these really pure differences when we're just thinking about time and context that we can't discount. And if we start to embrace that, I don't know, I, I haven't embraced that to the extent that I'd like to, but I do think that there's room for that even in music.
0: Well, there's a sense I have that we have gotten to the point now where we can't even come up with a new style, style of song, style of architecture, style. We're repeating our repeats. Originality has always been overrated, but even more so now, which only leads me to understanding story. Tell me a good story. I'm listening. And that's what I think your music can do.
2: Yeah, music can tell good stories. There's a lot of speculation that, that AI could help with the newness, like, you know, the new factor, like is there are there going to be new forms of of art that are suddenly created that we just simply couldn't imagine before. I don't know. So far I'm not seeing that. Art forms like yours that have tangible origins I think are in the clear. It's going to be art forms like mine that are going to really end up becoming consumer-based art forms, by which I mean where the consumer is essentially the artist. And they're just deciding what they're going to watch, listen to, hear, et cetera.
0: Well, talk about homogenization. I mean, be careful what you wish for. I mean, you look at the world of photography and and what has happened. It's remarkable on the one hand and a damn shame on the other. Uh, Everyone's got a camera. Yeah, can everyone take a good picture? Well, no, we've got software to fix that.
2: <laughs> yeah. And and God bless that software cuz it saved my ass a bunch
0: of times.
2: When we start talking about the real-world effects of the democratisation of art forms, there's this connection between democratisation and homogenization that is jarring and almost makes me wonder if the arts should Go back to these sort of old days of guilds and uh, and sort of more uh, uh, insular, you know, practices.
0: On the one hand, uh, I think it should, but that means that there will be strict limitations put on you, and there are, there's only you know one way of doing things, and you're going to sure, have to learn sure. it. And I've talked with Ali about this. It's that state of being when one is creating. That flow state, the psychologist, Chick sent me high, wrote the book called Flow is a place you can't just flip a switch and have it occur. You've got to work at it. You've got to go through that period of uncomfortableness. But when time stops and you're being challenged and you're doing the work, whatever that work is that you are meant to be doing, that's what I'm after. It doesn't occur for me all the time.
2: People understood that more and they got to experience that more. I mean, it first of all, it's just life enriching. So
0: whether you access it or not is is up to you. I, I think when you do, you understand that there's it's a different place. Good things can yeah. come of it. If if you practice at it, great things can come of it for yourself,
2: maybe for other people too. You know, I wonder if the flow state is intrinsically linked with risk because uh, i have read some studies on the flow state that did suggest that the flow state is actually highest when risk is highest yeah. and they, well, yeah and when you know everything or when you have the tools laid out and all you have to do is give a prompt into ai and you right. get spit something out you sort of circumvent your ability to have the flow state because you've circumvented risk and so I think that risk is an important factor in the not only the creative process, but in, in achieving that sort of phenomenology of the flow state. When we talk about the democratization of the tools of, of creativity largely what we're talking about is the uh, erasure of the risk associated with creativity so you know these days you don't any longer have to play a drum beat you just have these stock drum loops that you just insert that cannot produce a flow state that no. that that process of selecting and implementing is strictly curational
0: and yet that risk balanced with your knowledge and if you succeed or if you fail and learn something
2: it's great. I think it's a really important topic more and more to break apart the experience of creativity and and whatnot, especially as these tools, these creative tools are democratized. And
0: No, uh, I think it's a good point about the the risk factor, because everything has been taken down to such levels that anyone can do it. I, I got accused once of being an elitist, and I thought to myself,
2: well, that's good. You too can be an elitist. I think that that's that's right. I used to be really against all forms of, I mean, elitism, but also just even in some ways, difference. But I didn't understand it as uh, an opposition to difference. But when you insist that everything be flattened, you're insisting on a world of totally uninteresting non-difference and and homogenization. And we see a fully, landscaped flatland now uh, occurring with music converging upon a almost the same beats, the same sounds, the same rhythms, the same chords. And that's actually a studies that have done that and not just my my sentiment. When I was young, when I was about, Ali was here actually for this, I I stood on a pile of books and put a noose around my neck and and put a wad of $700 in my mouth for this uh, installation where I did this uh, performance art when I was about 22. And I stood on the pile of books about two and a half feet high for five straight hours. It was super difficult, but I managed to balance there. And one of the books was in defense of elitism. <laughs> and at the time, I just thought it was such a silly, strange title and something that was basically my arch enemy. But now I actually think that I need to read that book, which I never read, but I owned um, and understand what the argument was, because there is something brilliant to the idea or to the phrase that you just said, you too can be an elitist. There's an inclusivity there, but it's again back to this idea of mastery or a guild or an order. And it's not that there's only one way to do it. But there's this idea that, like, you have to risk something. You're not just a photographer because you snap away. You have to be engaged in some vivid and vital way with what you're doing. Otherwise, forget the output and the product. It might be great. The experience of it. You have not got to experience what it is to be an artist. And that's what people don't understand. They think it's product. It's the
0: experience. That changes the artist, that experience of, of creating that that work. And the yeah. fact that something happens at the end of that period of time is sort of bonus, but it's yeah. what's happening inside to the artist that is uh,
2: yeah.
0: is so important. I'm real big on intention. So when you design a piece of furniture, it's a piece of furniture. Okay, It's a chair you're going to sit in. But what's your intention with this chair? What is? What do you want people to feel like when they sit in it? Or when they see it for the first time. When you write a score for a, for a film, the purpose is to put music to film. Do you ever have the idea of creating a score that stands alone? I
2: get a sense that, that oh, this would stand alone, or this piece is like, I could listen to this forever. But I definitely don't go in with that intention. The, the, the intention is always just to elevate the film into something like uh, greatness and you do that by really just asking what does this scene want i like setting the the widest parameters possible with regard to intention i want to give a lot of room for whatever's going to flow through me and not pre-organize uh all of my routes but that's step one of my process then step two is i send all that to the director And then the director sends me back, you know, a bunch of notes and they're like, wow, this is cool. That's not cool. This is good. That's not good. Can you make it more like this? And all of a sudden I've been asked to have a very, very specified parameter of intention, which is make something that's like this, but different. And that's a very difficult task to make something that's just like something else, but totally different. Inevitably, I'm like, I, invariably rather i'm always frustrated with that and and kind of like ah here we go again i got to do something that's just like something but different but i love that process also invariably because there's something about first of all trying to emulate the greatest scores of all time because i've had been fortunate enough to work with directors who aren't sending me sort of like schlock things to try and you know imitate it's like Bernard Herrmann and fucking just great scores that becomes the way I reorient. Them. I'm like, Oh, well, here I am learning again. I'm literally learning from a master. Now the master's not here. The master's dead, but I'm sitting here studying this master. And I was listening to the score by Nino Rota who did like La Dolce Vita. He also did the score for the Godfather, but this was all the stuff from La Dolce Vita Fellini's movies And I'm listening to it and it's so fucking simple. It's just these three notes. (says) That's it. Over and over again, it's very simple. And I'm like, I can do this. This is the easiest thing I've ever heard. And I sit down, but I have to do something different. Remember, I can't just do that. (laughs) I do something completely new but has that feel. And it took me a fucking week just to get close. It was almost impossible. How is this simple feeling so complicated or so complex that I'm having trouble approaching it? And I started pacing around the studio, like fuck, and I'd like sit at the piano and be like, is this a melody that has that feeling? Well, several things popping in my head. One is
0: how alike our, Approaches to understanding great work. I mean, you have to sit down and tear it apart, and then try not to copy it. I call great design reverent theft.
2: Like, yeah, plagiarism is just, I hey, hey, I stole this. Yeah, I like reverent theft. I think that that's right.
0: Yeah, it is hard work, and that's that's the one thing about the homogenization of photography, for instance, that you know people don't recognize what it takes to become a really good photographer is. Become good at anything. It takes work. And yeah. that journey is a part of it. That journey is is an important part of it. There's no yeah. sidestepping it. There's no shortcut. Hey, could I skip those those middle 10 years when it really sucked to be you? No, nah, you don't get to you don't get to skip those 10 years. You gotta suffer through them because that's the fire.
2: This particular topic about what is an artist, who is an artist, like what, like what makes an artist. I've been very in the past uh, has been a, a, a very fiery topic for me because I've hated, like almost loathed moonlighting artists, like just like, Oh yes, I'm having a show. It's like, Oh yeah. Of what? And they're like, Oh, I'm a poet now. Okay, cool. I want you to be a poet. I want to support you, but until I've seen you fucking suffer and just struggle until I've seen your compulsivity until I've seen that this is something that you can't not do. I'm not going to respect you as an artist, but that's okay. You don't need my respect, but just FYI. And I have people over here to record and this bass player the other day, just last week we record and then we leave. And he's like, looks at me, he starts mine. He's like, you're the hardest working guy. I know." And I was like, Really? He was like, yeah, he's like, you really work hard. I was like, okay. I mean, you don't even really know me very well. Like you come over to record once in a while, but he left and I started thinking, I had kind of forgot, like, that's been reflected to me many, many times. I don't actually need to work but i have to do it because i know that there's there's another creature out there to be discovered there's another instance of unknowing this this sense of being your own astronaut and discovery is not just discovery external to yourself but discovery internal to yourself there's just more there and that desire that drive in and of itself creates sleepless nights and uh, and difficulties in your relationships with people and you're you know because you're obsessed about this thing or the other thing but you know that it's beautiful and it's fully worth it and there's something about that that ends up nourishing the world in a certain way
0: yeah and we don't know what the effect is on, on other people like people can say oh this changed my life and you go okay that's great I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible, how I could have done that. And yet, that total immersion into wanting to create is that place you have to be at if you really want to be an artist. Yeah, years ago, I had a, I had a choice to make. Staying in a relationship and having kids. And I chose a selfish path. I made the right choice and I regret it. I'm talking today with Alex Ebert. He's a composer, writer, I'm going to say musician thinker thanks alex this was a lot of fun
2: thank you so much thank you yeah i agree this has been uh it's been wonderful
0: well that was my conversation with alex ebert from the topic of lyricism our conversation drifted skipped and flew into all sorts of places concerning creativity it was great fun uh, in the first episode which you should listen to if you haven't please check that out Alex and I talked about lyricism and what makes something beautiful to our senses. But as we engaged in that chat, it became clear that limits were an important part of that process and would actually force a creator to to new heights. And instead of restraining our reach, limits free us to try within a, a framework. And it means work and it means commitment. And you can't skip that middle part of of being creative, but it's that struggle. You and I talked about that, Ali. What are your thoughts on on these uh, these limits that some people seem to feel restrain them?
1: Well, it's it's interesting actually in regards to limits. Alex and I practice constraint based writing, and it really forces you to think and tangential ways to get from one seeming non sequitur to another while maintaining a through line. And I think that that was something that you guys touched upon that was also really interesting. The conversation is that there is a necessity for struggle uh, in some ways to develop your skills and your proficiency in anything. Somebody choosing to be a poet and then, you know, we'll come back after you've struggled and really put in the work and become that thing. Yes, right. suffered. I think it's the same thing, you know, with if anything, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you can call it your 10,000 hours or whatever it is, you know, your 10,000 dovetails. You actually have done enough of the thing where you, you understand the value of those constraints.
0: Yeah, I think the, the idea of 10,000 hours as a standard is ludicrous. It's just the beginning. It's the beginning of a long process that involves real commitment. And You can't skip those middle 20 years to get to the point where you say, you know, I don't really know that much. I thought I knew a lot when I started. It takes time and it takes commitment. And those, oh, those middle years are tough. There's no question about it. And that's the struggle. Ideas can come fast and furious depending on your makeup or your dream state or your drugs of choice, but they're short-lived until you start to do the work on them. Do you have the courage to work through it? And if you do, the, the rewards are amazing because you get some sort of thing, whether it's time-based, like a song or a play, or, or it's words on the page, or it's an object, and that's great. But the other thing it does is feed the artist. There's something that occurs by being in that state of struggle and perhaps flow that helps feed them as a, as a human that not doing it's a it's a loss it's a real loss well lee thank you for joining me today and thanks everyone for listening this is gary ragowski thank you